From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. Now that Philadelphia Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw announced her resignation, the question remains, what do Philadelphians want in the new police commissioner? And what does the new leadership need to crack down on violent crime? We sit down with former Philadelphia Police Commissioner Charles Ramsey and Anthony Arachi with the Citizens Police Oversight Commission. A lot of it just has to do with neighborhoods and people standing up collectively saying enough's enough and we're just not going to deal with this. There is no reason for all this nonsense and foolishness. Sherrod Howard catches up with the executive director of Galay. We wanted to make sure that we were doing that in a way that was big and representative of celebration and not just coming together because of tragedy. That's all coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw recently announced her resignation. She's been at the helm of the department for over three and a half years. Her tenure, of course, was met with plenty of criticism as some of the highest crime rates in the city occurred under her leadership. Violent crime has been increasing steadily since 2015. And I'm not, as one human being, and I said this the day I was announced, I'm not going to do this by myself. And for those folks who think that I'm going to come in here and do it by myself, have another thing coming. Because not only is it, it's not fair, but it's an unrealistic expectation to know what's been going on for years. And then I come in and I'm expected to not only clean all of these things up, but do it with far less resources than my predecessors were given. But is there such a thing as a perfect person to hold this position in the nation's largest impoverished major city? Charles Ramsey served as the city's police commissioner from 2008 to 2016. Previous to serving Philadelphia, he was chief of the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C., before starting his career in Chicago. Ramsey is now a founding partner of 21CP Solutions, a public safety consultancy. Ramsey joins us now. Commissioner Ramsey, thank you so much for joining us. Quite all right. Glad to be with you. Now, a police commissioner in the city like Philadelphia can't serve without criticism, of course. If you would, could you give me your overall opinion of the job that Danielle Outlaw has done during her three and a half year tenure? Well, first of all, it's not just Philadelphia. Any big city, uh, I would imagine even medium sized and small cities, you're going to get your share of criticism. It's one of those kinds of jobs where There are some people that are going to like what you're doing, other people don't, and that can vary, you know, from day to day, literally. As far as Commissioner Outlaw, I mean, she uh, was the commissioner during some very tough times. I mean, COVID, uh, the viral video of George Floyd. um, I mean, there were a lot of things that went on during her tenure, and uh, I'm sure she did the best she could during that period of time because, you know, you got fewer staff, uh, you know, lost a lot of people. And a serious uptick in crime during a three-year tenure. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, a lot did happen under her watch. And, you know, coming in during a pandemic, uh, as you mentioned, the murder of George Floyd, all of those events, all in a small amount of time. uh, Of course, she's going to be under a microscope and really looked at closely. And, of course, received lots of criticism while she was on the job. Well, but that's pretty typical. There's a saying in policing, the best police chief is the last one and the next one. 
In other words, the person while they're sitting there, you're the one that's going to catch all the income, right? And right. so we'll look at the previous person with fond memories, deserved or not, and they look forward to whoever follows. I mean, it was the same thing when I was police commissioner, I'm sure, you know, and, and so it's just the way it goes. You can't be so thin-skinned that you uh, get overly concerned about that sort of thing. Commissioner Ramsey, following the abrupt resignation of Commissioner Ross, the city at the time wanted the next commissioner to change the culture in the Philadelphia Police Department. And many felt that perhaps an African-American woman could make some headway where that's concerned. Did Commissioner Outlaw move the needle in that area? Time will tell whether that took place, but trying to change culture takes more than three years, four years, five years. I mean, it, it takes a long time before you're able to do that because part of that has to do with just, you know, a, a transformation in, even in personnel, uh, staffing, you know, bringing newer people on board that are, uh, you know, trained under the new philosophy, whatever that philosophy may be. I mean, there's just a lot of dynamics when it comes to changing culture. Not everything in police culture is negative, but there are some things that do need changing. And so what policing needs in America, period, not just Philadelphia, is transformational leaders. Unfortunately, there just aren't many uh, in the business because one of the biggest flaws in policing is the fact that we do not mentor and we do not really invest in the next generation of police leaders like we should, you know, with the education, the training, the exposure uh, that they need to have to be effective when they do get that opportunity to lead a department. It's done sporadically. It, you know, it's, it's not done in an organized fashion. Okay, I understand. And in what ways can new leadership kind of reinforce implicit bias training amongst the ranks? Well, I mean, obviously now that's a standard training in policing. Uh, but again, it, it has to translate into behavior on the street. You can check the box and have all the training in the world. But if it doesn't translate into change behavior on the street, then it doesn't mean anything. So you have to hold people accountable. Uh, in addition to having the training, uh, you have to have good supervision, particularly first line supervisors, sergeants, paying attention to what the men and women are doing, uh, listening to complaints and really thoroughly investigating complaints that come in. Uh, sometimes you can't prove or disprove, but if the same person is getting the same kind of complaint over and over again, I mean, that should tell you something. Now that we have body-worn cameras, and I watch a lot of body-worn camera footage because I'm a consultant now, so I do a lot of reviewing, especially in the area of use of force, uh, it does tell you a lot uh, in terms of what's going on on the street, both in terms of good behavior on the part of police officers and behavior that's not good. Now, what can the new commissioner do to sort of motivate rank-and-file officers who might be skeptical of a regime change? Well, uh, the cops are going to be skeptical no matter who comes in. That's to be expected. But what you have to do, and it depends on if you're coming from the inside or the outside. If it's from the inside, you'll have a pretty good grasp on what some of the issues are. But I wouldn't take anything for granted because the higher you are in an organization, the more out of touch you usually are with people who are at the ground level actually doing the job. I mean, that's true in a lot of professions. So you need to meet with people. You need to have focus groups. You need to actually listen to their concerns and their issues. Uh, your police officers, your first line supervisors, middle managers have one-on-one -on -one conversations with your command staff. What do you see as the issues? What do you see as solutions to dealing with these particular problems? The same thing goes as you outreach in the community. 
you know, go to community meetings, put together small focus groups of people too, because large community meetings can get out of control. You know, it can either to overly positive, or overly negative one way or the other. Yeah, but you get a group of nine or 10 people in a room uh, and just have candid discussion. Uh, you can get a lot out of that if you're really listening and paying attention, because how they see police is really as important as as how you view police. And so I think all those things at once, once you get a handle on that, one of the things that I did both in D.C. and in Philly is I did develop a strategic plan. And then I called a department wide meeting, both sworn and civilian personnel. And I laid out that plan. Here's where we are. But here's where I want to see us five years from now. And here's how I'm going to get you there. People have a right to know what it is you plan to do. It's just normal that people will be nervous and upset when a new person takes over. If you get a new CEO at KYW, people are going to be a little nervous, a little concerned. What is this, you know, what's this guy's background? What, you know, what are they going to do? You know, am I going to still have the same position that I have now? Right. It's human nature. And so you can anticipate it. And you can deal with it by giving people a chance to really, you know, talk and express their concerns, but then tell them what you plan to do. It's not a secret. You got to just be transparent. Yeah. You, you did mention it depends on whether or not the new leadership will be from within or someone from outside of the city. Do you think the city would benefit more from another leader with fresh eyes from outside of Philadelphia or should it be someone who has risen in the ranks within Philadelphia? It depends on who that leader is. Now, I've had two jobs where I came in from the outside. I'm originally from Chicago. As you mentioned, I took over Washington, D.C. Other than going to D.C. as a tourist, I couldn't say I knew anything about the city of Washington, D.C., its neighborhoods, its issues. I'm going to Smithsonian's and so forth. That's not the real Washington, D.C. I had only been to Philly a couple of times. And again, more of a visitor or tourist coming in for a conference, uh, that sort of thing. So you have to do your research and, and you know learn about the city, learn about the history. Go back into the archives and read the newspapers and read the articles and find out, you know, what's going on, you know. And then as you start to venture out and start meeting people, uh, start meeting both internal and external, you start to get a pretty good grasp of what's going on. And, um, you know, I, I've always looked at it this way. As a police officer, the one thing I've done throughout my career, which is 50 years almost, I'm, I'm pretty good at fighting crime. And crime is crime. And I, the names of the streets change. Name of the neighborhood may change. But armed robbery is armed robbery. Carjacking is carjacking. Homicide is homicide. And your job is to have an impact on those things and bring a sense of safety and security to neighborhoods because that's what everybody wants. From the most challenged neighborhood to the most affluent neighborhood, everybody wants that sense of safety and security. Your job is to get it to them at best you can. And police, but police in a constitutional way. Right. And in terms of building trust, I've heard from people in the community that say they would like to see the police commissioner more visible in the community when things happen out right in the streets, in the communities, connecting with people. How important is that? It's very important. And there's a lot of ways to connect. It doesn't have to be a physical presence, although that's important. I'm a big believer in touching folks and shaking hands and looking in their eyes and that sort of thing. But you can use leverage social media uh, for an example. There are a lot of ways to touch people and different people want to be touched different ways. When you're talking to real young people, they're not going to be sitting in some church basement at seven o'clock at night waiting on a community meeting. You better get them through social media and you better know what social media platforms are relevant for that particular population. 
And so you've got to do your homework. I'm 73 years old. There's no such thing as social media when I was coming up. Okay. And I'm still got one foot firmly planted in the 20th century in a lot of ways, but you have to learn or at least build a team where you have people around you that understand this and can direct you on the kinds of things you need to be doing as it relates to technology, social media, and all these kinds of things. So there's a variety of way of reaching people, but it's not one size fits all. And that's one of the biggest mistakes I think we make by thinking that, you know, everybody wants to meet and greet the same way. They don't. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. And Mr. Ramsey, as far as working with the district attorney, how should the next commissioner approach a relationship with DA Larry Krasner? Well, any DA, you've got to have a, a working relationship with, which means you have to meet on a regular basis, you have to talk. I had Seth Williams during my time for the most part, and you know, we would have regular meetings. We didn't always agree on stuff, but if there were cases that I thought should have been moved forward with prosecution and they weren't, I'd just find out what was wrong. Was it deficient on our part? Did we not do something from an investigative standpoint? And if so, that's a training issue. That's something that I can address to make sure the next case I send you will be tight enough where you don't have an option and you're going to move forward with the prosecution. But it's not a finger pointing thing. You've got to be a team and you've got to work together. You may not agree with everything, but you've got to find a way to work together uh, best you can. But the main focus for police commissioners, making sure your department is doing what they need to be doing before you start throwing rocks at anybody else and accusing them of not doing what they do. That may be true, but make sure your stuff is together and tight before you start, you know, throwing rocks at somebody else. And usually what you'll find is there's a mixture of both. And everybody could always do better. Let me ask you, um, Democratic mayoral nominee Sherelle Parker supports what she calls constitutional stop and frisk. Mm -hmm. What do you support and where should the line be drawn between civil liberties and public safety? Terry stops, Terry versus Ohio. I mean, that's a constitutional stop. You have to have reasonable suspicion to stop an individual and have people to articulate what that reasonable suspicion is. Okay, a search is not automatic. A pat down for weapons if you think that person might be armed for your own protection. That is a Terry stop. And people have over time, including police folks, have kind of, you know, turned that into, you know, stop and frisk. Well, just stopping folks and frisking them for no reasonable suspicion is wrong. It's unconstitutional. But you can train your officers. You review and you audit the stops because they have to record the stops and make a statement as to why they stopped that individual. And if there's something deficient, you can correct it through training. Or if a person consistently does that sort of thing, then you do have to correct it through disciplinary action. But you have to pay attention to what they're doing. But you can't just say you can't stop anybody. You have a city that uh, for a couple of years went over 500 murders, and most of them were guns. We got some violent, dangerous people out here on the street, okay? And you got to know who they are, but you still have to build a case when it comes to what you can do if you aren't actually seeing the commission of a crime. What is drawing your attention to them? What is the reasonable suspicion that they either have or are about to commit a crime? And if you can articulate that, then you're in good shape. So what you need is constitutional policing. It's not an either or proposition. 
What do you think are the biggest challenges facing the Philadelphia Police Department and how would you like the new commissioner to come in and address them? Well, there's a couple of things that I think are major challenges. One is staffing. They're down some, I don't know the exact number, but I've heard as high as 1,500 in terms of authorized strength. Uh, this is a city that really, you know, their sworn headcount should be right in the neighborhood of 6,800 to 7,000, right in through there. Um, so they need they need staffing. It's going to take years to do it. So there are going to have to be some reorganization of the department. And there'll have to be some things that you simply aren't going to be able to do that perhaps you did before. Find alternate means of responding, taking some reports by phone, all those kinds of things where you don't have to actually dispatch. You can keep officers free to deal with more serious types of things. So staffing is certainly one. Crime is another. I mean, you know, we've had some bad years here in Philadelphia. You can have an impact on crime. I mean, we were able to get our homicide numbers for the last three years. I was the commissioner under 300. Two of those years, we were under 250. For a city like Philadelphia, that's pretty doggone good. Now, that's 250 too many, especially to the person who lost a loved one. But that's a hell of a lot better than 500 something. Right. And so you can constantly work at it, constantly work at it, constantly work at it. And if you build trust with the community, people know who's doing this stuff, but they need to be able to communicate and they won't communicate to you unless they trust you. And they may not trust the entire department, but they may trust you as an individual. And that's all you need. You need to build those relationships. Then you can get those violent offenders off the street because that's where they need to be is off the street. And, you know, I know it's not popular to say, but there are some folks that need to be locked up. There are others where alternatives to incarceration can work. But there has to be some consequence. You can't just say, I'm not going to prosecute anybody who shoplifts anything under five, uh, $500, for an example, which some cities have done. OK, now, Target, Best Buy, they might be able to write that off. What about the bodegas? What about the mom and pop stores on the corner? They can't absorb those losses. And who's impacted by that? The people who live in that community that don't have the means to get to the big to Wegmans. And some of these other big chain stores, Giant and Acme, they can't get there. So who suffers from that? Doesn't mean jail necessarily, but it's got to be something other than just a free ticket to commit crime and nobody does anything. That's To me, that's crazy. And finally, Commissioner Ramsey, what ultimately does the city need in its next police commissioner? They need a transformational leader, someone who's not afraid to see the future and move the department in that direction. Take it from a place it is now and bring it to someplace uh, much better. And I don't say that in the sense that they're in a bad place because of past leadership. Everyone has that opportunity and that job to do that. It's almost like a four by 100 meter relay. You run as long and hard as you can, as long as you got that baton. But at some point in time, you hand it off to the next person and hope they run even harder than you ran. That's how you do it. And that's how you stay consistent in terms of trying to get a handle on safety and security. Kids should be able to go out and play without worrying about catching a stray bullet. That's not asking too much. It's not asking too much to have a, for a mother to be able to put the child in a regular bed, and not have to put them in an iron bathtub because they're afraid that a bullet might fly through the, uh, the window and hurt them. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Uh, part of that is elected officials not having the courage to do what they need to do to kind of curb uh, gun violence, for an example. But a lot of it just has to do with neighborhoods and people standing up collectively saying enough's enough and we're just not going to deal with this. There is no reason for all this nonsense and foolishness to happen. I've been to thousands of crime scenes 
in my career, thousands of them. And I've seen more people, uh, you know, homicide victims and rape victims and all. And, you know, it, it tears you apart and it does change you uh, as a person. But I've always believed and I'll never stop believing that things can be better. May not stop it, but damn, you can make it better than it is now. And that's the attitude you got to have. And you got to drive your people to understand that that's what their job is. This ain't pro bono work. They get paid. They get a paycheck for this. So I ain't asking too much for you for that eight hours to do some work. Okay. And I'll direct you as to what that work ought to be. And it's not asking a community member to do too much. To This is your neighborhood. I'm not asking you too much, but you need to help protect your neighborhood. I can't be everywhere. Not asking too much. And if we can all come together and do that, then I think you'll start seeing a much safer city for all of us. Former Philadelphia Police Commissioner Charles Ramsey, it's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Good to be with you. continue our discussion about Philadelphia's next police commissioner, we're now joined by Anthony Arachi. He's interim executive director of Citizens Police Oversight Commission, which is an independent oversight agency designed to ensure the just, transparent, and efficient administration of criminal justice in the city of Philadelphia. Anthony, welcome. Thank you for having me. Now, as we take a look at Daniel Outlaw's tenure as police commissioner, I'm going to ask you, if you had to grade her performance over the past three and a half years, what grade would you give her and why? Ooh, that's a tough one. Giving a, a single grade for overall performance, I don't think would be uh, honest of me. I think that there were a lot of ways that uh, she drove reform. I can say that during her tenure, CPOC has been able to achieve reforms uh, previously thought impossible. And for that partnership, we will always be very grateful. Uh, there were also times that the, the police department struggled in a variety of different ways. And um, with any tenure, especially in a, in a job like that, there's going to be uh, pretty high highs and pretty low lows. And I think giving her credit for the good things that occurred without uh, absolving her of the bad things that occurred, I think is okay. Understand. And of course, that's just par for the course. It goes with the job. So now building trust um, Anthony between law enforcement agencies and the people that they serve, of course, is essential was Outlaw able to achieve this at all under her tenure? Well, in that regard, I don't know that a tremendous amount of progress was made. I think that when you're looking at community trust in policing, you really need interactive sort of small ball policing uh, to build out. And that's something that's still been a struggle. I do know that the city was looking for, um, you know, a change in the culture of policing and improving in race relations specifically under her tenure and thinking that or the hopes that a, a black woman could come in and really drive that home. Is that something that we saw at all? Well, I think that people's expectations are immediate, but progress occurs, frankly, over decades. Do I think that the seeds are there for improved relations with the African-American community? I do. Uh, but there are miles and miles to go before that even is recognizable, I think, uh, to the community and to the police department. Uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and there is no cure-all. There is no training that is going to say, okay, we're good, and then you you know, kind of wash your hands of it and keep moving forward. All right, so let's talk more specifically about the work of CPOC and the leadership in Philadelphia. And in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, CPOC has worked to provide um, accountability in the investigation of police shootings. 
How has it been working with the police department under Outlaw's leadership? And what would you like to see handled differently with new leadership when it comes to transparency and accountability? Well, with police shootings, I think that the investigative process could be a little bit more transparent. I think that there has been tremendous progress in allowing oversight into that process in the last incident with the Irizarry shooting. I mean, and this is just evidence how it's been recently. Civilian oversight was called at the same time their detectives were and was present at the same time, saw the evidence at the same time. That progress is really transformative and nationally, I think, very rare. The access that oversight has now is unrivaled in the country. What should the new commissioner tackle right away in their new role? Well, Philadelphia is sort of beset with uh, problems, whether it's crime, whether it's policing. And it's one of those things that comes from every different direction, right? And they're all interrelated. Striving for excellence in every direction is really how you start, right? I mean, the smallest of interactions between a police officer and a resident of the city can down the line affect whether you can clear a homicide or not, can affect down the line how that eventual parent teaches their children how to interact with police officers. So, I mean, concentrating on community relations and making sure that a line police officer can relate to the community members in which they serve is really a tremendous first step and solves a lot of sort of spiraling problems that come out of those interactions. What about the training of uh, police officers? Would you like to see a new commissioner perhaps improve uh, officer training or make some changes in that regard? Well, I mean, I think officer training can always improve. And the reality is that CPOC right now has just gotten into uh, the training process where we now do a presentation for the recruitment class on police oversight. Uh, but that's a small part of the changes that we'd like to see. I mean, I think thorough, practical, real world training is tremendously important. Now, I mean, I'll give you the example. They do a tremendous amount of training on shooting, right? competency with firearms. Now, that's tremendously important. And I really want police officers to be very competent using a firearm. But you have all of that training for the thing that you're supposed to really and in practicality doing the least, right? The thing you do most is interact with the community, right? So I would really like to see training on how to police in a way that's constitutional, respects people's rights, and is effective at solving crimes. And finally, Anthony, what are some of the plans of CPOC going forward with working with the new administration? Uh, are you planning to be more involved uh, in police relations and, and oversight and things of that nature going forward? Oh, absolutely. I mean, CPOC itself is still in the beginning stages of its creation, right? So, I mean, we're much bigger, have much more influence and are having a much greater impact uh, than any oversight in Philadelphia has had in the past. And we want to exponentially increase and improve on that going forward. We think that as we grow, oversight is going to be an integral part of policing and, and hopefully help make the residents of Philadelphia confident that when they call the police, that the good guys are on their way and confident that uh, if something goes wrong, that we've got their back and are going to make sure that uh, justice prevails. Anthony Arachi, Interim Executive Director of Citizens Police Oversight Commission. Thank you so much for joining us on Bridge and Philly. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. The nation's first National Coming Out Day is just around the corner and plans for celebrations are in the works. Shara Day Howard tells us more on this latest Shara in the City. 
This past June, Galet took up the mantle for Pride. The inclusive LGBTQ organization staged a march under the banner of Pride 365, featuring the biggest Pride flag in Pennsylvania. And this fall, they're doing it again, making history with the debut of America's first National Coming Out Day Parade, planned for this October 6th through the 8th, as part of the Hourfest celebration. No longer Outfest, the title Hourfest is intended to reflect the spirit of individual journeys and coming out and the collective strength of the community. So we visited Galay and spoke with Terrell Jones, the mastermind behind all things Hourfest. Thanks for joining us, Terrell. So let's talk. How big is National Coming Out Day going to be in Philly this year? So Hourfest is our second love child, if you will. Um, last year, we did a really monumental job of like producing Pride. And this year, we leveled it up even further with six stages of entertainment. Um, every single section, we tried to cover all our bases, but there's always more that we can do. Um, and then we decided for this year for National Coming Out Day, we didn't get a chance to do it last year. Uh, many people don't know this, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> um, it's a lot of actual labor. It's not just planning a party. There's a lot of bases to cover. So this year we were like rolling into the summer and like we can do this. We can do it this year. So we decided like we wanted to add another layer to this, right? Um, traditionally, Philadelphia is one of the only cities or municipalities that really produces something for National Coming Out Day. So we were like, we always do a block party, but can we do something else and add another layer to it? And that's where we came up with the parade as well. Um, and the reason why we call it Our Fest is because obviously we all know the lens and layer of um, having so many legislative attacks on our community nationally, on a federal level, also on a state and local level. And we wanted to make sure that we were highlighting the resilience of our community because despite that, we know that we are the vibrant force in our communities and in the nation that really produces the kind of art where the tastemakers, we are the people that actually really do bring uh, joy to the city and bring the kind of color to the city that I think all other demographics bring, but we do it in a special way, a little bit of glitter, right? <laughs> so, um, but we wanted to make sure that we were doing that in a way that was big and representative of celebration and not just coming together because of tragedy. So our fest, actually as an acronym, it's Our Uniting Resilience Festival. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we were lifting that up and lifting up the storytelling aspect of it too. So having people tell their coming out stories because really a lot of narratives are being propagated about our community because we don't have a chance to tell our stories. Um, so it's important that we really get some stories out there from black and brown, queer and trans folks in Philadelphia to tell how they came out, the hurdles that they overcome, but also really share the joy that they have every single day and how they overcome every single day, because that is the kind of resilience when you share it with other people that inspires them to come out as well. Now, how are you including that into the celebration? Because it used to just be a block party. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a whole lot more than that. Yeah, so now it's we have a parade. It's a floated parade. It's a really curated, nice floated parade with like, 
big, really design floats. And um, on top of it, we have different sections in the parade that go from a community section, a mast cheer section that has our 200 foot fly flag in it. And it also has a mass marching band that's going to be a collaborative effort from different cities marching bands and Philadelphia Freedom Band here in Philadelphia. Um, and we have a gay chorus that's going to come together for this. Um, there's a sporting float um, that's going to have out sports figures on it and on some other like contingent teams and organizations that have sports teams too. Because frankly, we don't get enough credit for the amount of diversity in our community. We span every amount of the spectrum from people that, you know, because we will be celebrating drag, trust and believe, but people that celebrate drag and performance art to people that do can hit a you know 70 mile per hour fastball. So we're inviting all these aspects, but also inviting the nation to come to Philadelphia to celebrate National Coming Out Day in Philadelphia. I love that. So what else can people look forward to? Like, I mean, a lot of people think, oh, we'll just wear our like splutty outfit and like just <laughs> right and walk around the neighborhood. No, it sounds like more than that. Again, more than that. So there's the parade that will be on Saturday. Mm -hmm. So we split it. There'll be a whole weekend of fun, right? Saturday will be the parade. It's an evening parade. So it's from four to six. Um, then by nightfall, there's actually, I think, two other block parties that are smaller happening in the neighborhood. There is a light installation and projection that will be happening from University of the Arts that will be highlighting queer and trans families. On Sunday, there'll be the festival. Oh, and not to mention the other night parties that will be happening that night, I believe. Gotta have some parties. Yes, I believe there's a couple of party promoters that we're working with that'll have parties that we'll announce later on. Okay. That'll be on Saturday night. Then on Sunday, we have the traditional block party. There's going to be two stages. So for Pride, we have six stages. It was a lot to handle, <laughs> but it was really worth it. It really was. I think everyone really enjoyed Bailar Con Amor. It was I mean, I can't say enough about what that did for the community to let them know that brown people are here and robust and really have that aspect added to it because that's the roots of our organization. But now we're, we're going to focus it on two stages that are equivalent in size, but also full lineups of performances. So not just DJing. So there'll be a lot going on on two different stages. and Spread it out. Yes. So our pop wellness section that we had at Pride, we're going to expand that even more. So that way there will be an entire section that is about the cause of serving queer, trans, black and brown and lesbian and gay people. So that'll be a whole resource section um, that'll be staggered. So that way, because we want them, we want all of our orgs that are helping to do this to be able to break down at five o'clock and enjoy some of the festival, you know? So it'll be staggered a little bit more so that everyone can engage in some aspects of joy throughout the day. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for joining us, Terrell. Thanks for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly, at Raquel on Air, and at Shara Day. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For Shara Day Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. Mm -hmm.